Well, last week we finished a section in our outline, the battle with Pharaoh in the first nine plagues. And before this battle even started, before the first plague was sent, uh, God gave a message to Pharaoh through Moses. Uh, and I want us to be reminded of that message. So let's go back to chapter 4, verses 22 and 23. It says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my, is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So the first message that God gives to Pharaoh was this warning, a warning that, hey, Israel is my firstborn, and if you do not let them go, there's going to be a consequence. And the consequence specifically to you, Pharaoh, is that I will kill your firstborn son. So God starts off telling Pharaoh what the ultimate repercussion is for not letting Israel go. Pharaoh, the ultimate repercussion, the worst of all that's coming is the fact that your firstborn is going to die. But before God does that, before he brings this harsh you know, consequence to Pharaoh, he gives Pharaoh nine opportunities to soften his heart. Nine opportunities to submit to God. Nine opportunities to realize who he's up against. Every plague that comes, Pharaoh has the opportunity to say, Lord, I submit to you. I will now let Israel go. I will do what you say. And so before God brings this really horrible plague of the death of the firstborn, he has all nine of these other ones giving Pharaoh opportunity after opportunity to avoid having his firstborn son die. But we see that Pharaoh, every time he's been warned, every plague that has come, we've had the plague of frogs and blood and lice and swarms of insects and pestilence that killed the livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. With each one, we see the same response. Pharaoh hardens his heart. He won't let the nation of Israel go. And after the ninth plague, the ninth time that Pharaoh hardens his heart, God gives him one final warning. One final warning and a reminder, really, of the first warning that God ever gave him. If you don't do it this time, Pharaoh, at midnight, I'm going to kill every firstborn son or person and animal. And when I do this, there will be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. So this section ends with the ninth plague and this warning of the tenth plague that's coming. And Pharaoh can escape that warning if he will just do what God has said over and over again. Let my people go. You don't want your firstborn to die? Then be obedient. And tonight we're going to start the second main section in our outline entitled Deliverance. And there are two things that God is going to bring to deliver the nation of Israel. Two things that He's ultimately going to use. We're going to see tonight blood, and then the next thing, His power. And as we look at blood tonight, it's going to be connected to the Passover. And this is one of my favorite chapters in Exodus, mainly because it's such a clear picture of Jesus' work for us. And we're going to note that uh, as we go through this. And so in chapter 11, God gave a warning to Pharaoh. 
hey, this final plague is going to be the plague that kills your firstborn, and you have a chance to escape it if you'll obey. And now in chapter 12, God's going to tell the nation of Israel, the final plague is coming, and there's something that you must do as well if you want to escape the plague of the killing of the firstborn. And so let's see what we can learn from this chapter. Exodus 12, starting in verse 1, says this, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So the Lord starts off here telling Moses and Aaron, He says, I want you to tell all the nation of Israel something very important. And this is what I want you to tell them. This month that you're in right now shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And so what God is telling the nation of Israel here is something that's extremely significant. He's saying, hey, I want you guys to recognize the month that you're in right now, I want you now to take that month and rearrange your calendar, and now this is going to be the first month of the year for you. I'm going to do something so significant in this month that now I want you to take it and make it the first month in the calendar. Why? So that you're going to remember the thing that I'm about to do in this month. Now, as you can see from this chart, before God made this change, the first month of the Jewish calendar was the month Tishri. But now, the calendar is going to change, and the first month is going to be Nisan. It would be like God saying, okay, hey, you know, I know you normally have the first month as January, but now I want you to make it July. And the reason I want you to make it July is because I'm going to do something so significant in July for you that I want you to start every year with this month as a reminder of the thing that I'm about to do for you. And this is really the ultimate reason. That this, I want this to be uh, something that brings to remembrance what I'm going to do, but also I want you to realize what I'm about to do is going to bring you a new beginning. I'm going to bring deliverance to you. And in this deliverance, you're going to have a new beginning. You're no longer going to be in Egypt as slaves. I'm giving you a new beginning. And so as you start the new year, I want you to remember the new beginning that I gave you here in Egypt. Now, in this chapter, God's going to give the Israelites six specific things to do. And really, each one of these things is to remind them of what he's about to do for them. And so he's going to tell them six things I want you to do right now, but then I want you to continue to do in the future so that you can remember what I'm about to do right now. And as we go through these six things, we're going to finish with seeing something quite amazing about this list of things that God gives the nation of Israel to do. So the first thing on our Passover list of things the Israelites were to do is they were to change their calendar to start with the month in which God will bring deliverance. So that's the first thing. All right, guys, change your calendar. I want now the first month to be the month Nisan, and that's always going to be the case from now on as a reminder of the deliverance that I brought to you in this month. The second thing that God has the Israelites to do is in verses 3-5. through five. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let he, him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb." 
Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So first God says, here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to change the calendar to start with this month right now, the month that I'm going to do this amazing thing. But within this month, there are some specific days that I want you to do some specific things. And the first day that I want you to do something specific is on the 10th day of this month, every man needs to take for himself a lamb for his household. And so every single one of you men in Israel who is the head of a home, you need on the 10th of this month to go and get a lamb and take it for your household. Now, the Hebrew word used here translated lamb, it means one of a flock, lamb, sheep, goat, young sheep, young goat. And so this word could be used to refer to both a sheep or a goat. And that's why in verse 5 it says you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. But you couldn't just take any sheep or any goat that you found. There were some specific requirements of the kind of sheep or goat that God wanted. One of it was that it had to be a lamb or a male of the first year. But even more specific than that, it had to be one without blemish. So the second thing on our list of what the Israelites had to do is that on the 10th day of the month, every household had to take one, a one-year-old lamb without blemish. Well, the third thing that they had to do is in verse 6. Let's see what it is. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So after you pick this lamb without blemish on the 10th day of the month, you are required to keep that lamb until the 14th day of the month. So you would keep that lamb for five days. And as you read on in uh, Leviticus and you see more details, they actually to bring that lamb into their home. So it wasn't just some random lamb that you, you, know, you picked and then you tied it up outside your house and you paid no attention to it for five days and then you went and killed it. No, God had a better plan. I want you to bring it in your house. I want you to connect with it. I want you to feed it. I want you to start caring for it. I want you to actually just start to develop love for this lamb. And then at twilight on the 14th, your household is going to have to kill it. You see, God wanted this lamb to have some significance. That Killing this lamb and having to do it was something that would have been hard because it wasn't just some random animal anymore. Now it's an animal that I love, that's been in my home, that I've taken care of. And, you know, oh, there's something important about this sacrifice, more important than just some random animal. So the third thing on our list of what the Israelites had to do is on the 14th day of the month at twilight, every household had to kill their lamb without blemish. The fourth thing they have to do is in verse 7. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where they eat. So once you kill your lamb on the 14th at twilight, well... To kill it, most likely you would slit its throat. There's going to be lots of blood. And there's something that you were to do with that blood. You would take that blood, and on the house that you were eating the lamb in, the door that entered in that home, you would put that blood on the doorpost and on the lintel. Now, most of us know what doorposts are. They're the two vertical posts on both sides of the door. 
And as you can see from this picture, the lintel is the, the horizontal post that goes across the top of the door. And so you are to put blood on both of those. The blood of the lamb without blemish was to go on there. And as the blood was applied on the top and on each side of the doorway, the blood would start dripping down and interestingly would form a figure of a cross in the doorway. So the fourth thing on our list of what the Israelites had to do is they had to put the blood of the lamb without blemish on the doorpost and on the lintel. The fifth thing that God tells them to do is in verses 8 through 11. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it. With a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Now after you put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, on the lintel, you didn't just leave the lamb there. Okay, we, we have no more use for that. No, God says now you take that lamb and you're going to roast it in fire. And with the lamb, you're going to make unleavened bread. And you're going to have bitter herbs, and you're going to eat that meal together. And you're going to eat it all. And if there is anything that remains at morning time, you're going to burn it up so that there's nothing left at all of this lamb. And you had to eat it in haste with your belt on, your sandals on, your staff ready to go, because God says, you guys are leaving. You need to be ready for this, and you need to believe that this is going to happen. That you're eating with all this, because typically you're not going to eat with all those things. You're going to relax. You know, no, no, no. Eat with your belt on. Eat with your sandals on. Eat with your staff in your hand, because this is the time of deliverance. You guys are about to go from Egypt, and I want you to eat this lamb in faith, trusting that what I promised is going to happen right away. So the fifth thing in our list of what the Israelites had to do was they had to roast the lamb in fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs and eat it ready to leave Egypt. Well, in verses 12 and 13, we get the reason for why the blood. Why blood on doorposts? Why blood on lintel? For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." So here God gives the reason, and it might seem weird to them as they're first hearing this, of like, what's the point of killing this lamb who's been with us for five days and taking his blood and, and putting it on our doorpost and putting it on the lintel? You know, what's the purpose of this? And God's saying, well, hey, when I come to do this final plague, the plague of killing the firstborn, I'm going to send the angel of death, and he's going to come, and he's going to wipe out every firstborn. But when he sees the blood of the lamb without blemish, there on your doorpost, there on your lintel, he will pass over your house, and those who are in that house who are firstborn, they're not going to die. And this is why it's called the Passover. 
Because the angel of death passes over these homes who are ultimately protected by the blood of the Lamb. This blood protects them for the judgment that God is pouring out upon everyone in Egypt. And those who did not have the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts and on their lintel, they'd be judged. The judgment of God would come. The angel of death would kill the firstborn in those homes. So rescue from the angel of death didn't happen by a prayer. It didn't happen through fasting. It didn't happen through some work. It happened and was accomplished by a life given on behalf of others. It happened because of blood being shed. So the sixth thing that God has for the Israelites to do is in verses 14 through 20. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. No matter of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, On the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. So here God tells the Israelites of what he wants them to do. He's been bringing up this stuff about Passover, and now he connects Passover with what immediately follows after it, this feast of unleavened bread. And he says, I want both of them to be a memorial, a reminder, not just to you guys, but to all generations after you. This is going to be every year you're going to do this. You're going to remember this. I'm telling you this because every single year on the month of Nisan, on the 14th day, you're going to slaughter this animal. You're going to eat it. And then for seven days more, you're going to have this feast of unleavened bread. And all of it is to remind you of what I have done for you or about to do for you as I deliver you from Egypt. So Passover begins on the 10th day of the month. They pick that lamb without blemish. They hold on to it until the 14th. On the 14th at twilight, they kill this lamb, take the blood, put it on the doorpost, put it on the lintel. And then for a week, the next seven days, they only eat unleavened bread. There should be no leaven in their house at all in that seven-day period of time. You shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on the same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. For the first Passover, unleavened bread was really kind of a practical necessity. They didn't have time for the dough to rise. 
And so there would be no leaven. There would be nothing in there to cause the dough to rise because, hey, they got their belt on. They got their sandals on. They got their staff in their hand. They're ready to go. There's not time for that. But in the future, there would have been time as they remember it. But God says, still, I don't want you doing that because I want you to remember specifically what I've done for you and how I brought you out of this land. So the sixth thing on our list of what the Israelites had to do was on the 14th day until the 21st day of the month, they were not allowed to eat unleavened, were not allowed to eat leavened bread. They only could eat um, unleavened bread. Well, now Moses is going to give this message from God to the elders of Israel in verses 21 through 27. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourself according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it will be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service that you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households so the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So Moses now brings the elders of Israel together and he's taking the message that God has given to him and what they need to do and he shares with them what it is that they need to do as well and he reminds them, hey, God's about to come and kill the firstborn of all people and animals here in Egypt. And so you guys, you need to take this blood of the lamb without blemish. You need to put it on the doorpost and on the lentil. And this destroyer, this angel of death, he will pass over your home and not kill your firstborn. And Moses goes on to tell them they need to observe this Passover as an ordinance for them and their sons forever. Something that God wants them to continue to do, and they still continue to do it to this day. This is one of their most significant feasts that they do. If you go to Israel now, uh, they do it now. And he says, when the children ask, what do you mean by this service? Why are you doing this? Why do we take this lamb, and why do we pick it out on the 10th day, and keep it till the 14th day, and then kill it, and then eat it, and then we don't have any leaven in our house for a week? I mean, what's the point of this? You know, kid's going to be curious. He's like, yes, when they ask... You then tell them why you do this. This is to remind you of what God did in Egypt, how he delivered us from the nation of Egypt, from slavery. And so you're teaching your kids as you do this every year of reminding them of what God has done. It's the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So this wasn't just for the group right there. God's not just saying, hey, I want you to do this as a feast, as, you know, just so that you guys can you know, experience this. No, no, no. I want this to regularly happen every year because future generations will forget. And I don't want them to. It's your job to remind them every year to go through this so that there's a reminder of who I am and what I have done for you. 
So after Moses tells the people about God's coming judgment and how to escape it, let's see how they respond in verse 28. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. The Israelites hear the message. If you want to escape this final plague, if you don't want any of your firstborn to die, this is what you have to do. And we're told that they hear it and they do it. They listen to what God said. They're obedient to what God said. And this was such an important response. Because God's offer of deliverance from the death of the firstborn was going to only be given to those who did this. I'm only going to have the angel of death pass over the homes of people who obey what I'm telling you to do. So if you don't kill this lamb, if you don't put the blood on the doorpost and lintel, your home is no longer protected and your firstborn is going to die. So the only way your firstborn is not going to die is if you do what I'm telling you to do. And the Israelites accepted God's offer of deliverance and they were protected because of it. And notice here, God's giving a specific thing. The only way you're going to be delivered from this judgment that I'm pouring out is if you have a lamb without blemish and his blood ultimately protects you from my judgments. That is my offer to you. And if you're willing to accept that, that's the only way that you're going to escape the judgment that I bring. But notice what happens to the Egyptians in verses 29 and 30. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captives who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead." This is a sad state of affairs. We've seen nine plagues. We've seen nine horrible things brought. But this one, the death of the firstborn, every single Egyptian home, no one had blood. That was the one thing that was going to protect them. The one thing that would keep them from having their firstborn dead was the blood of the lamb without blemish. But they didn't have it. So we've noted the six things that God told the Israelites to do with regard to Passover. But something that's interesting to note is with all the nine plagues, God never asked anything of them. He never said, you must do this if you don't want to suffer this. There were several times that God just said, you know what? Israel and Goshen, they're going to be protected. Darkness covers the land. Nope, not, any, not, not where they are. You know, hail and fire, not where they are. Boils, not where they are. He protected them, and there wasn't a, hey, you guys need to do something in order to receive my protection. He just did it. But now all of a sudden he's saying, there is something that you must do. If you want to not suffer this final plague, you're going to have to do what I'm asking of you with regard to this lamb and the blood and trusting in that to protect you from my judgment. And this might have seemed a bit odd. I mean, all right, Lord, what do we need to do? Well, actually, you need to kill a lamb, and you need to take its blood, and you need to put it on your door. Well, that doesn't seem like the, the, why? Why would we do that? Why didn't God just protect him like he did before? Why did he give him the six things to do? 
Well, as I started this list, I mentioned there's something quite significant, something amazing about these six things that God tells them to do, which I want to reveal here. You see, God had a much bigger purpose in giving Israel these six things to do than just to remember the Passover, than just to remember what he had done in the past in delivering them from Egypt. These six things were to also prepare them and to point them to an even even greater deliverance that God was going to bring in the future. So it's kind of twofold. Hey, I wanted to remind you of what I've done in delivering you from slavery in Egypt, but you know what? There's an even bigger thing. I wanted to point you and prepare you for a deliverance that's coming, one that's even far greater than what I did in Egypt. You see, all six of these things are pointing to and are a picture of the work that Jesus Christ did for us, how He would offer Himself for the world. What God did here in delivering Israel from the slavery in Egypt, He was going to do it in an even greater way, not just for one nation, but for the whole world. He was going to deliver the world from their slavery to sin. And so I want us to take a moment and see how each one of these six things that God asked the Israelites to do is a wonderful picture of what he ultimately does through Jesus on the cross. The first thing we noted is that the Israelites were to change their calendar to start with the month of deliverance. But you know what? That's not the only thing or only time that God did something that had a drastic impact on a calendar. When Jesus delivered us from our sin, history was split in two. Our calendar was rearranged globally. After Jesus' death on the cross, the calendar was divided to before Christ, B.C., and after Him, A.D. That significant event totally rearranged our whole calendar and the way in which we date things. It's all based on Jesus' sacrifice for us. And the interesting thing here is you only see Israel's calendar changed in Exodus. Why? Because God only delivered them. But the calendar changed when Jesus came. Why? Because his sacrifice wasn't just for the nation of Israel. It was for the world. And it impacted the world. G. Campbell Morgan wrote this, God is ever the God of new beginnings in the history of failure. The ultimate statement is found in the apocalypse in the words, Behold, I make all things new. You know, one of the most amazing things about the God that we serve is that He can make things new. He did that with the nation of Israel. I'm going to give you a new beginning. I know that for 430 years you have been slaves in Egypt, but I am delivering you from that. I'm going to take you to the promised land. I give you a new beginning. The Bible tells us for those of us who have accepted Christ, we are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Why? Because the God that we serve is a God who can make all things new. The second thing we noted that on the tenth day of the month, every household had to take a lamb without blemish. This is ultimately pointing to Jesus. Truly, the lamb without blemish. The lamb, the only one ever to live who never sinned. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John, speaking of John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish or without spot. It's all pointing to Jesus. Every year they get this lamb, one that's without blemish. They keep it in their home. They kill it. They take the blood. It was all pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, the one that would come to deal with sin once and for all, Jesus Christ, the one who truly is without blemish because He was without sin. But you know what? Jesus also entered Jerusalem on the 10th day of Nisan. That same day that all the people would have to choose their lamb, that's the day that Jesus comes in right before He dies. As the Jews were picking out their lamb without blemish, God picked out His. The one that He brought to sacrifice for the sins of the world. The third thing we noted was on the 14th day of the month at twilight, every household had to kill their lamb without blemish. Once again, this is a great picture of Jesus because His death was on the 14th at twilight. He was sacrificed on the cross 1 Corinthians 5.7 says, For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So as people are preparing their sacrifice, their Passover, Jesus is there ultimately paying the price for the sin of the world. The fourth thing we noted was the blood of the Lamb without blemish had to be put on the doorposts and lintel. And the purpose of doing this was so that the blood would cause God's judgment to pass over all those in that house. And another wonderful picture of Jesus. The Israelites and the Egyptians, they had the judgment of God coming upon them, and the ones who escaped that judgment were the ones who had the blood of the Lamb without blemish protecting them from the wrath and judgment of God. And in the same way, all of us have God's judgment coming against us because of our sin. And the only people who are going to escape the judgment of God in hell, the ultimate punishment for our sin, is if we put our trust in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed Himself on the cross, whose blood was shed. It is that blood that ultimately protects us from the wrath and judgment of God. Romans 5.9 says, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Ephesians 1.7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Colossians 1.14, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. That connection to the blood of Jesus, a sacrifice for Him, for us, by Him, is what ultimately brings redemption and forgiveness to us. But it only happens to those who trust in Jesus. It only happens to those who accept and put their faith in what He has done. Those who reject that will not be saved from God's judgment. The fifth thing we noted was the lamb must be roasted in fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs and eaten ready to leave Egypt. Once again, we see a great picture of Christ and what He's done. The lamb had to be roasted in fire, and fire in the Bible is a picture of judgment. 
Well, what did Jesus do on the cross? Not only did He take our sin upon Himself, yeah, that's great, but He did something far more important than that. He took the judgment of God for our sin upon Himself as well, so that you and I could escape that judgment. He received the judgment on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to. The lamb was also to be eaten with unleavened bread. Leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. So this unleavened bread is symbolic of the fact that Jesus was sinless. And the only one who could actually sacrifice Himself for us was someone who wasn't guilty like we were. You know, in Exodus 20, uh, 12, verse 46, we haven't gotten there yet, but it gives one more specific things the Israelites were to do in preparing this lamb. It says that they were not to break one of its bones. This is interesting because this is pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus and everything that God has them do is specific. It's not just some random thing. Well, why not break any of the bones? Who cares if we break the bones? We're eating this thing. No, don't break any of the bones. John 19, 32 and 36. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who were crucified with him, the two thieves on the cross next to him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who had seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the Scriptures should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. Where does it say that? Well, it speaks of it here, the Passover. This is pointing to the Messiah, the sacrifice. His bones wouldn't be broken, and they weren't. The Israelites had to eat with this this lamb with their belt, with their shoes, with their staff in their hand. It was ultimately a step of faith. We believe God's deliverance is coming right now. And so we're ready for it. We're expecting it. He promised it. And so we're expecting that He's going to deliver that promise. In the same way, we take a step of faith, believing in the promise of a deliverance for us. God says, hey, it's through Jesus. I need you to put your trust in that. I need you to believe in that. I need you to... Trust that that is what is ultimately going to bring you deliverance from your sin. The sixth thing we noted was on the 14th day until the 21st day of the month, they were not allowed to eat unleavened bread. Now, as I already mentioned, leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. And so an unleavenedness is a, it's a picture of being free from sin. And on the 14th is when the lamb was sacrificed. And then right after that, you have this unleavened aspect. And so Jesus is sacrificed, and now that protection from God's judgment is there, but also this ability now to live in a new way. We've now been freed from our slavery to sin. We're no longer bound by it because of what Jesus has done. So Jesus' death on the cross on the 14th day of the month made it possible for us to be delivered from our slavery to sin and the day that you accept Christ, you're given that freedom. So as you can see, these six things that God gave to Israel, yes, they were to remind them, hey, every year I want you to look back. I want you to remember what I did. But it's more than that. It's to prepare you and it's to point you to a greater deliverance that's coming. 
And these people didn't recognize that. They, they were just like, all right, we're going to remember this. God, you're so amazing. I can't believe what you just done for us. Wow, every year, this is so great. Let's remind our kids of what God did. But God says, oh, I'm preparing you for something even better. I'm preparing you for a lamb that's coming, that's going to be blameless and sinless, that's going to take away the sin of the world. And each one of these things that you do every year is to help prepare you for his arrival, to recognize who he is and what he's going to do. So now that every firstborn person and animal that wasn't protected by the blood of the lamb is dead, now Pharaoh has another opportunity to respond. With every plague up to this point in time, he has hardened his heart. He has not willfully allowed the Israelites to go in obedience to God. Well, let's see how he responds now after this 10th plague, and his own firstborn is now dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. They had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600 thousand men on foot besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also in flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock, and they baked unleavened cakes of dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leaven, because they were driven out of the land of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now they journeyed now they sorry sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was four hundred and thirty years And it came to pass at the end of 430 years on that same, very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It's a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. So finally, the 10th plague is here. Pharaoh has one more opportunity. What are you going to do, Pharaoh? Are you going to soften your heart? Are you going to obey God? Are you going to let the Israelites go? Are you going to choose to harden your heart and go for plague number 11? God already told Moses how Pharaoh was going to respond. He says, not only is he going to tell you you can go, he's going to tell you, get out of here, leave. I don't want you here anymore. And that's exactly what Pharaoh does. Leave. Take everybody and your livestock. Remember that, you know, back we looked, you know, Pharaoh originally said, well, you can stay here. He wanted to compromise. Just just sacrifice here in in Egypt. Okay, well, you can just go to the ends of Egypt. All right, fine. Just the men can go. Oh, goodness. All right. The men and the women and children can go, but the livestock have to stay. And now it's finally, all right, everybody, men, women, children, livestock, you can all go to where God wants you. Get out of Egypt. And everybody else in Egypt was quite happy as well because they even recognized, hey, if you stay, we're all dead. I mean, 
Everyone who was Egyptian, we're told, in their home had someone who died. They realized, you know, this can't continue anymore. And the Israelites do what God says. Hey, ask from people, silver, gold, clothes, and they're going to give it to you. And so we're told that they're plundered. They give it away. Get out of here. Take our stuff. Go. And we're told that a mixed multitude leaves. And this is interesting because commentators, when they look at this mixed multitude, speaking of not just Israelites, but also Egyptians. So there were Egyptians that decided to say, hey, we're, we're going with you. <laughs> we're, we're done with the gods that we've worshipped. And we're done with being here in this rundown place that's been hit with ten horrible plagues. We're going to go serve your God. We're going to go with you guys because we found out who the real God is in these last weeks. And we're told that 600,000 men journeyed out of Israel, which doesn't include women and children. And so with women and children, this is why we don't know the exact amount of people that left, but it could have been a couple million, because uh, definitely there would have been more children than men, uh, and you know, probably about the same amount of women. So if you just took men and women, they're probably about you know, 1.2 million, and then you take kids, you can have several million people that had left um, Egypt. They were there for 430 years, but now God delivers them, and he wants them to remember this. This is the day that I brought deliverance to you, that I did what I promised you. Because remember, when they came, remember when Joseph was about to die, he reminds the people as well, God said he's going to take you back out of here. Trust him. And I'm sure for those who went into slavery, that was a hard thing to do. We've been slaves for 430 years. I've heard that story that God was going to deliver us. I don't think it's going to happen. But yet, the Lord is faithful to fulfill the promise that he gave. Verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all the males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. So one last thing that God brings up here about the Passover and what they need to do in, in order to take it is He brings up who is allowed to take it, who should and who should not take it. And remember, there's a mixed multitude that's leaving, and so you have uncircumcised Egyptians that have now joined with the Israelites, and God says, okay, now when you guys actually take this and remember this in, in the time to come, there's people who should and should not take it. Those who can take it are the circumcised Jews, which would be men and their families. If you're an uncircumcised male, you don't get to take it. If you're a sojourner, foreigner, you don't get to take it. you got to be part of the family. And if someone desires to take it, great. If they're a man, they got to be circumcised first. got to join with 
the nation if they want to remember what God has done. There's that connection that needs to happen. So here we have God fulfilling the promise He made. And He did it in such an amazing way. Through the shed blood of the Lamb without blemish was the ultimate thing that brought deliverance. All the other plagues, they didn't deliver them. It was this one. This one that brought the deliverance. This one that ultimately protected them from the wrath of God and delivered them from their slavery. And it's just a wonderful picture for us of the blood of Jesus that protects us from the wrath of God and also delivers us from our slavery to sin. The next thing we're going to see is God's deliverance through power as we see them now heading to the Red Sea and we'll be looking at what God does with that. What are your thoughts about what we looked at here tonight in Exodus chapter 12? 